1: So the title of my message today is how to progress out of your mess. Have any of you ever asked yourselves, why is my life such a mess? And if you have, then you have that in common with the rest of humanity since time began. Um, but I want to I share a story really that is all about the, the cycle of what our walk with God or our journey with God looks like when we come to the Lord and we're in a season right now where I was telling the first service, it's like God got a snow globe called the earth and he shook the whole earth at once and everything that could be shaken was shaken and only those things which were true and life-giving and real remained. Everything that was a veneer over a decaying platform or fraudulent or a lie or a pretense was exposed for what it really is. And God's doing an incredible work in the earth and really, I believe, getting the church ready for the harvest that is about to come into the church. So before God can bring a whole lot of messed up people that that need to to have a revelation of him and get discipled into his house, he has to deal with his house first. God God is not a virtue signaler. He doesn't project on everybody else and tell them, you need to clean up your house. He takes responsibility first for his own kids, for his own house. Uh, I think that the definition of virtue signaling is pointing out in everybody else what they need to change and not taking responsibility for your own life. God is not a virtue signaler. He is virtuous. And in any move of God, he always deals with his house first. That's why we're seeing rumblings and shakings and things shifting in, uh, in churches all over the world. But whatever God does in the macro, in the large scale, he does also in the micro. So this message is about you today. This is all about you. How to progress out of your mess. I'm going to be reading about one of my favorite Bible characters. His name is Gideon. His story is found in the book of Judges. And out of all the the heroes and heroines in the book of Judges, Gideon would have to be my favorite. Followed closely by JL, who took out an enemy with a tent peg. She's definitely up there in the Hall of Fame. But I love Gideon because I feel like his his story represents best our story as we journey through life with God. And so I want to break down Gideon's story into three parts, and you'll find that these three parts are true for Gideon and true for every believer. The encounter we have with God, the obedience we show to the leading of God, and then the assignment that we allow ourselves to carry given from God. So we're going to break it up into those three scenes. If your life as a Christian was a movie, it would be broken into three scenes. The encounter, the obedience, and the assignment. So we're going to start with the encounter. We're going to, I'm just going to read to you from Judges chapter 6, verse 1 to 6. Here it reveals the mess. How do you progress out of your mess? Well, here is the mess that Gideon and the Israelites were in. It says in Judges 6, starting in verse 1. Then the children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord. Here they go again. So the Lord delivered them into the hand of Midian for seven years. This is how I know God is a really good dad. Because he doesn't rescue his children out of their mess per se. Eventually he gets there. But he allows them to live in the reality of the consequences of their choices to show them there is a better way to live. This is good parenting. If we become snowplow parents and save our kids from every crisis they go through and don't let them lie in the bed they make, then they won't learn. And this is is what God is doing here. And then the hand of Midian, their enemy, prevailed against Israel. And because of the Midianites, the children of Israel made for themselves the dens, the caves and the strongholds which are in the mountains. So these are God's sons and daughters, the Israeli people who were marked by God as his children, and they are living far beneath their mandate and their commission to be influencers, to be chief amongst the mountains. So it was whenever Israel had sown that Midian would come up And also the Amalekites and the people of the east would come up against them. Then they would encamp against them and destroy the produce of the earth as far as Gaza. Interesting. And leave no sustenance for Israel, neither sheep, nor ox, nor donkey. For they would come up with their livestock and their tents coming in as numerous as locusts. Both they and their camels were without number. Can you imagine? So this wasn't some piddly little enemy that didn't have a chance This was a sophisticated, mighty army. And they would enter the land to destroy it. How interesting. So Israel was greatly impoverished because of the Midianites, and the children of Israel cried out to the Lord. Good move, Israel. But this scripture is interesting. It describes the mess that Israel and therefore Gideon were in at this particular time. But it's interesting to me that the enemy, the Midianites and the Amalekites and the people of the East would come and they wouldn't steal from the Israelites. They would destroy their stuff. I mean, that doesn't make sense to me. That could only be the signature of the devil because because thieving, I understand. I don't agree with it, but I understand it. I want what you have, so I'm gonna take it through nefarious means. But to mobilize an entire army, to go into a nation purely to destroy it, that can only be the signature of the devil. Have you noticed in your own life and your own family of origin, a pattern of destruction? If you have, it is the signature of the enemy. The enemy hates God's kids, and and I don't want to take it too deep, too quick here today, but I will say there is a demonic, just as there is a God assignment on your life and God will prevail, there is also demonic spirits that have been assigned to your family to bring you down. That's why the Bible says that when Satan fell, he took a third of the angels with him. They know their time is short, so they want to cause as much chaos and destruction As possible. Destruction is a signature of the enemy. This was just not about thieving because I want your stuff and I'm greedy. These people weren't pirates, they were destroyers. It's a mark of the enemy. And it was in that moment that Gideon had an encounter with God. The Israelite people knew about God, yet they had they had. They had abandoned him. They had introduced the worship of idols. And as a result, they were continually being robbed from. So God looks down and he realizes when the children of Israel are crying out that they are ready now to progress out of their mess. Somebody say progress out of my mess. It's what God desires for all of us. So in this first point, scene one, I call it, it's the encounter. So Gideon knew about God, we see, but he didn't know the character of God. He had never had a personal encounter with God. And in Judges chapter 6, starting at verse 11, it says this. The angel of the Lord came and sat down under the tree that belonged to Joash, where his son Gideon was threshing wheat in a winepress. Wow. I'm already excited over this because Just a few verses before, we see that Israel cries out to God to be delivered, and immediately God responds, wow. Isn't that an incredible thought? The minute you acknowledge your need for a savior, there he is. So he finds Gideon threshing wheat in a wine press to keep it from the Midianites. And I like this part too. I mean, I love this story so much, I could preach about Gideon forever because Gideon was being courageous in a time when the rest of his his countrymen were hiding in caves and dens. Gideon is threshing wheat in a wine press during a nationwide lockdown shutdown where it was illegal to open your business. Gideon opens his business illegally and starts threshing wheat to put bread on the table for his family. There is something about a courageous person that attracts... The angels of the Lord. But then we see throughout this scripture that that the angel of the Lord starts to have a conversation with Gideon, but then something really interesting is revealed. And the Lord appears to Gideon and he says, the Lord is with you, mighty warrior. Pardon me, my Lord, Gideon Gideon replied. But if the Lord is with us, why has all this happened to us? Where are all his wonders that our ancestors ancestors told us about when they said, did not the Lord bring us up out of Egypt? But now the Lord has abandoned us and given us into the hand of Midian. It's interesting how, how messed up Gideon is here because the truth is not that God had abandoned Israel. Israel, however, had abandoned God. And that's why their lives were in a mess. But but God is attracted to mess, especially when someone is crying out for things to be better than they've been. And then the Lord turned to Gideon and said, go in this strength you have and save Israel out of Midian's hand. Am I not sending you? Pardon me, my Lord, Gideon replied, but how can I save Israel? My clan is the weakest, the messiest in Manasseh and I am the least and the messiest in my family. I am in a mess. And the Lord answered, I will be with you. The greatest word you'll ever read in the entire Bible. And you will strike down all the Midianites, leaving none alive. So this is where Gideon has an encounter with God. He'd heard about God, He'd heard the stories from his ancestors, but he had never encountered the Lord. This is the first step. You can be raised in church. You can turn up to church every Sunday because that's the thing you do. But God wants you to encounter him in a real and deeply personal way. And we see that that Gideon's view of himself is so far beneath how God saw him. And isn't that true for most of us when we come to the Lord? And I don't know whether Gideon's poor self-esteem was because his father was, you know, a bad dad, and he didn't get enough attaboys, and he he wasn't affirmed in his identity, or or I don't know if it was a school teacher or whoever it was, but we see Gideon, and his view of himself is so far beneath how God sees him. And I find that in this encounter scene, that's what God desires to do, to, to abolish the lie that has been misshaping our identity that we have lived under. So I wanna ask you that question today. How long have you lived under and believed a lie about who you are? Oftentimes it's not the strangers that speak things over us that carry a weight of oppression and linger on our soul throughout our life. It's actually the people in our own household. The people that love us the most can actually be the ones who also hurt us the most. I remember growing up and and I, I love my sisters and my sisters love me, but it's amazing how somebody can carry both a spirit of nurture and care for you, while at the same time, carry a word from a demonic spirit to get on your spirit And the devil uses them, make no mistake, our our wrestle isn't against flesh and blood. But that word hits you, and you end up growing up under that lie and believing things about yourself that aren't actually true. So Gideon was courageous. Gideon was a mighty warrior. Gideon was going to save Israel as one man. But he saw himself so poorly, his self-esteem was so broken. I loved the hero production this year and my favorite scene was the scene when the two prostitutes were in the, they were singing, we'll never be royal. Kind of like amening the negative narrative of the enemy. You will never be a wife, you will never be a mother, you will never be treasured. You're always gonna just be someone's good time, but you're okay with that. I'm okay with living under the lie. I'm affirming the broken narrative that wicked, corrupt men spoke over my life from the time I was a little girl. But then, but then, the devil doesn't count on the angel of the Lord coming like the angel of the Lord came to Gideon. I loved that scene because all of a sudden the narrative was interrupted and the pixelation on the video started to shake and the demons quivered as in came the Holy Host and started to declare the word of the Lord over those women and things started to shift. That's what we're seeing in the life of Gideon and that's what God wants to do for you. Interrupt that broken narrative and speak over you heaven's words, the words of your heavenly Father. You are not what wicked, corrupt men have said you are. You are a son of God. You are a daughter of God. You are a warrior. You are a warrior princess. That's how God sees you. It's it's no mistake, even right now, and and the devil is on the run because God is moving so powerfully. It's not the end of the world. It's the beginning of a beautiful new age. So that's why the devil is scrambling so hard and we're seeing all this like over the top, ridiculous. I mean, the devil isn't even trying to hide with a lot of the policies that he's trying to implement in our schools. Why do you think he's trying to get the wokest freaks ever teaching your children? Because he understands that principle. If I can speak a lie over them, at five years of age, at six years of age, at seven, they will live under that life for the rest of their lives. But they didn't count on God. They didn't count on the angel of the Lord busting into a wine press, identifying Gideon as who he truly was. You aren't the least of the least. You are a mighty warrior. What word does God have to speak over you today, my friends? What lie does he need to dismantle? I grew up in a home with sisters who love me, parents who love me the best of the best, and it doesn't matter how awesome your family is, the devil's gonna try to infiltrate his way any way he can. Every single one of us will have to have a lie-washed office. Doesn't matter how functional your mom and dad are, the devil is so crafty, it could be a teacher who spoke something over you. I remember going to school as a young girl, I probably had ADD, but thank God they didn't like uh, diagnose me. So I was just told I was stupid. Um, and I would go to school and daydream the whole time. And what I've realized is I didn't have ADD so much as I had a severe aversion to boredom. Yeah. If you wanna teach me, then you better be flippin' interesting. There is a burden on every teacher to make sure what you're teaching me comes out in such a way that you make me compelled to learn. So, so I would daydream through most of my classes because I was just bored. And so I was mislabeled as stupid. And I remember my math teacher, I mean, algebra, come on. I know there's people out there that love it. However, I have never used that thing once in my life. But I'll say this, I had a teacher who spoke a word over me and he said, are you sure you're a gray girl? Before I was Leanne Metesius, I was Leanne Gray. And I have four sisters who were all incredibly intelligent and very good at math and science and all the things. And I was just a daydreamer. Uh, I used to sit in class and daydream about how many babies I would have and what I would call them. and I'd be off in other planets, like, you know, fighting wars in my head and doing all these fun things. Are you sure you're a gray girl? Gray girls are smart. And I remember sitting under the weight of that and then living under or living down to that lie for a very long time in my life, believing I was stupid. And then I would find myself affirming it, you know, telling blonde jokes because I want to tell you I'm stupid before you tell me I'm stupid, right? So insert your story there. What lie have you believed that the Lord needs to wash away from you? Because you know what the stupidest thing I ever did was? Believe I was stupid for, for longer than for a really long time. I lived under a lie. I lived down to a lie for a really long time until I had an encounter with God. And I let him in to those places of brokenness where corrupt and wicked people had spoken over things over me that were not true, that were sitting on my soul like a stain. And I had to come to him and allow him to wash it away. And my life has, has changed incredibly since that moment. So in this first encounter scene, we, God, we see God come and he washes us. I would say to you today, be really careful about, as an adult person specifically, what words you allow to penetrate your soul. I still have people trying to stick stuff on me, and I'm like, nope, not taking that, not taking that, cancel, I reject that, I'm not taking that. Now, I sometimes, I'm not that extra, I don't, like, say it out loud, but, but there are times I will go home, and uh, careless words were spoken, and remember, it's, it's usually the most unexpected places. Stranger in the street, who cares what they say, but when it comes from a husband or a wife or a brother or a sister, or even heaven forfend, a pastor sometimes. Like, you've got to go home and allow the Lord to wash you. That's why when I'm in my car, I actually don't listen to to music that doesn't have heaven's message. Oh, you're just being legalistic. No, this isn't about legalism. This is about liberation. This isn't... All things are, are permissible, but not all things are beneficial. So when I'm in my car, I don't wanna be listening to apple bottom, jean, jeans, boots with the fur, with the fur. I, I, I wanna get the words of heaven in my life because I live in a world that wants to slime me with its icky lies on the daily. So I wanna he- hear the, the, the words of heaven. I want to sit in my, my car and sing, Protector, you never, never, never let me go. I come out of agreement with the lie that you have left me on my own. I am not alone. I come out of agreement. Come on, let the words of heaven hit you. With the worry and the fear I've come to know, they won't have a hold on me. Right? Come on. Oh, you want to keep going. Oh, be careful about the words you let hit your soul, my friends. Heaven's words need to penetrate every lie that the enemy has spoken and dislodge it from your life. Let the word of God find you today. God sent an angel from heaven to encounter a broken man who was living far beneath who he'd been created to be because he believed a lie about himself. So let's just take one minute just to close our eyes. Sometimes you have to go back in order to go forward and think about that word that was spoken. When was it spoken? Who spoke it? When did you start believing a lie about who you are? As a little boy or a little girl, and your mom said something over you or your dad did or your sister or your brother or a friend, a teacher, teachers, I'm telling you, they can be heaven sent or have the words of the devil in their mouth. Think back about what was spoken and how it hit you and how that stain, that residue is still on that on your soul and how you're you're living under that lie and living down to it. In the name of Jesus, I speak to every lie today, every false, fraudulent word spoken over God's sons and daughters, and I declare over you today freedom. Father, I thank you that your truth comes where a lie once was. Father, I declare over them they are beloved sons and daughters of God, created in your image for good works since the foundation of the earth. Father, I thank you that you are breaking every stronghold, breaking every bondage today, and truth is coming where lies were in Jesus' mighty name. And somebody shouted, Amen Leanne, Amen. So this is this is the beginning. This is this is the washing. And like every natural birth. Uh, there's a washing, when the baby is born, the baby is washed. But then after the washing in a traditional Jewish home, there is a cutting on the eighth day. So a baby's washed, we're gonna get all that ick and that mire of humanity off you. I'm sorry that happened to you. And now at eight days old, that baby, in the Jewish tradition, it's less common now, is circumcised or cut. So God deals with an area that would cause infection. So in the first, in the first scene, we, we, we bump into God's kindness. He washes away all the icky words. But in the second scene, we bump into God's kindness again, but this time he's carrying a scalpel. Scene two, the obedience. In Judges chapter 6, verse 25, we see God come, the angel of the Lord come to Gideon, because it's not enough just to be washed. We also need to be awakened or have the revelation of the source of the mess and the dysfunction. Otherwise, you're gonna live in a constant place of needing to be washed, like every single day. Like, let's instead allow God to do an inventory of our lives. What is the area of dysfunction or mess that God is wanting to dismantle and having me deal with? In Judges 6, 25, it says this. Now it came to pass the same night That the Lord said to Gideon, take your father's young bull, the second bull of seven years old, and tear down the altar of Baal that your father has, and cut down the wooden image that is beside it. What is God doing here in Gideon's life? He's revealing the source of the mess. We have a lot of Christians, they come to church, and every single Sunday, they need to be washed and reaffirmed, and I'm not saying that we won't have to do that throughout our Christian life. But we have a lot of Christians coming in, needing washing and affirming, but what they really need to do is allow the Holy Spirit in to do an inventory of their life. Where, what is the origin of this mess? Can, can we tear the idol down? And can I be really honest with you? In the story of Gideon, the victory happened in chapter 6. We, we see Gideon fight some of the most epic battles. Gideon's 300. He defeated a sophisticated army that the Bible says was greater in number than locusts with torches and cracked pots. Now, there's probably a message in that too. But why did God, like God continually whittle down the army? Do you know why? Because the victory had already been secured when Gideon pulled the idols down. The battle was kind of, now this was theater. This was superfluous to the situation. Have you ever wondered why God said the battle belongs to me? It's because when we are obedient, the rest is up to God. You do your job, God will do his. The battle belongs to the Lord, but the obedience belongs to us. Have you ever asked yourself, how can someone be so saved, so going to heaven, but so freaking messed up. It's because they bow out at scene two, the obedience. God comes to them and he says, there's some stuff in your life that you need to tear down. There's some compromise. you got a, a big old uh, idol of Baal in your living room. you got an Asherah pole next to it. And yes, I will come to you and affirm that you're a mighty warrior, but you are going to continue to be robbed from, plundered and destroyed by the Amalekites if you don't pull these freaking idols down. And I would say, America, you are here. You are here. Oh, we love it when God washes us and we need it. We need to get the slime off us from a broken world. But when God leads you into scene two, the obedience, will you be faithful to do what he tells you? Will you cut away those things that have been robbing you and destroying your family for generations? Now, when you look at Gideon's story, this was normal to him. He was born into a family that adopted Baal worship. So they didn't toss God out. They were still Christians, per se. They went to church on Sunday. They worshipped Jehovah. They worshipped God. And they worshipped idols. So their lives were in a compromise. They had one foot in the world, one foot engaged in the spirit of the age, and then one foot in the kingdom. So on Sundays, they're in church, singing and shout to the Lord. Midweek, they were singing in the clubs and getting up to no good. And God's like, okay, okay, let, let me reveal to you why you keep getting robbed from. Because there is a pattern of behavior that has existed for generations in your family that I'm asking you to tear down. Gideon, you are going to be a cycle breaker. You are gonna break the cycle of dysfunction in your family line. So what does that look like for you? Because Gideon could have blamed his dad, Joash. Well, Joash wasn't a good role model. He introduced the idols of Baal into our family. That's all I've ever known. You can blame your parents, you can cry victim, Or you can stand up in your generation, in your lifetime, and say, I will be the difference maker. I will be the cycle breaker. That cycle of addiction ends with me. That cycle of a victim spirit ends with me. That cycle of anxiety ends with me. That cycle of lust and pornography and the men of my family ends with me. That cycle of of unfaithfulness in my family, where everybody's cheating on everybody, ends with me. That cycle of lying and dealing poorly in relationships and cutting people up, it ends with me. Your life doesn't have to be a mess, but it's gonna be a reflection of your choices. Will God do battle for you A 100%? But when he comes to you and he puts a full-length mirror in front of your life, don't look away. The Bible tells us in the book of Hebrews, when you hear the Lord speaking, do not harden your heart. And if I, well, I keep saying if I can be honest, but I always am, so let's, it's, I'm gonna be honest with you over and over again. This is the issue with, I would say first-world Christianity. We're so lazy. I, we are flipping lazy. God, wash me. Give me an encounter. Give me a good feeling on an altar call. Hey, live your life in such a way you don't need to respond to so many altar calls. And, and I, don't, I don't say that to condemn anyone. I'm not like that. It, there's a season for that, particularly when you're a new Christian, you should be up here every week. But, but when you mature in God, you live your life in such a way that you're not constantly having to be apologizing all the time to everybody because you lost your cool again. Because when God came and said you gotta deal with that anger, you did it. Lots of people lots of people on altar calls and God's like, ah, here you are again. Yeah, I'm gonna forgive you every time. But why don't you make a change? I've shown you that the mess your life is in is because you're always lying. So why don't you just stop lying? Stop bowing your knee to an idol of deception. Oh, why are my relationships in such a mess? Why are there never any good men I kept getting cheated on? Because you choose losers every time. And God has told you that, but you can't help yourself. You keep running after them like, that's a it's tight but it's right. Like it's If I didn't care I wouldn't say it. I I say it because I care because I'm astounded at the state of the church in the world. We're so messy in so many cases and it shouldn't look this way. When when God brings in the messy world let them not find a messy church who is just as jacked up as they are. How how do I deliver somebody from the bad choices that they make relationally if I'm constantly doing it? How do I deliver women from the 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 culture of gossip and backbiting and if I do it? And when I was a young Christian woman, God I had an encounter with God like this, like Gideon did, and He came to me and. And he said, I want you to be obedient to me, Leanne. I want to cut something out of your life. I want to cut gossip out of your life. I'm like, all right, then go ahead, God. And he said, you're not allowed to watch The Real Housewives. I used to love watching The Real Housewives. I loved it. Other people's drama. Awesome. And the gossip magazines. He's like, you've got to cut that out. Because if you're going to be a deliverer, from women, of women who are in bondage to that spirit, you can't be entertained by it. So I had to be obedient. And I know it's just a little thing, but I'd go to, I'd go to the store and I was used to going to the store and doing my groceries and seeing you know, all the trashy magazines, grabbing a couple and then sitting down and relaxing, being entertained by the most depraved parts of female culture. And I felt God say, you don't, you don't get to do that anymore. If you wanna be a difference maker, if you truly wanna influence women, then you gotta cut that out of your life. And I was obedient. I'm telling you, I see those magazines right now and they just look like a really bad pastoral care meeting. Like I do not even, nothing about it entices me. But, but I share that story not to talk about myself, but to talk about you. What, what area is God wanting you to be obedient in today? that has been bringing a harvest of mess in your life that he wants to deliver you from. God didn't want Gideon and the Israelites to be continually plundered and destroyed. But in order for that to stop happening, they had to tear down the altar of Baal. And the victory happened in chapter number six. And oh, we hate obedience, but the Bible tells us in the book of James, submit to God, be obedient to God, resist the devil, and then he will flee. The devil doesn't have a snowflake's chance in hell when a Christian is obedient. Be obedient to God, be obedient to God. It's not sexy preaching, but it will change your life if you apply it. How to progress out of your mess? Be obedient to the leading of the Lord. Live a life of no compromise. Live a life of no compromise. And you'll find that when you tear those things down, that eventually things start to shift, not before people get very fired up at the fact that you're now moving and operating in obedience to God, and it kind of sets you apart a little bit. And so there will be a level of warfare that comes against you, sometimes from family, sometimes from friends, because they feel they feel exposed by your level of consecration. And in those moments, don't pander to it, just continue to do what's right, continue to follow the leading of the Lord. And you'll find that eventually they'll start to look at your life and go, wow, there's something significant about the choices that this person is making, and you will become a role model. That's what happened for Gideon. His father, Joash, really pandered to that idol his entire childhood. But Gideon stood up as a cycle breaker and everything shifted from that point onwards. And then he became a role model to his own father. And for some of you, that's gonna be your story. You're waiting on your dad to change. Nope, you are gonna be the change that changes your dad. You're gonna be the change that changes your mom. What they didn't have the courage to deal with in their lifetime, You're going to be courageous enough to deal with in your lifetime, and you're going to break a cycle of oppression, so you hand something so much better onto your children after you. Can somebody say amen? So scene one, the washing, the encounter. Scene two, the cutting or the obedience. Scene three is the assignment. And this is, this is where the adventure starts to heat up because the Bible says when you have freely received, you are to freely give. So Gideon is washed, Gideon is obedient, and then God hands him his papers. Gideon, you were set free. Now I want you to become a freedom fighter. This is, this is the cycle of the Christian life. We are washed, we are obedient, and then we are handed an assignment. So it's not enough that I was set free from fear and intimidation and gossip and all those different things. I need to now become a freedom fighter and help other people come into their own season of freedom. I love the story of uh, Harriet Tubman, one of the greatest American history heroines. She was uh, a slave who was freed. But what makes her story so remarkable isn't that she was a slave that was freed, because there are a lot of slaves that were freed. It's that she was a freed slave who freed slaves. She's a hero today because she set other people free, not just because she was set free, but because she set other people free. So when she was set free, they said, all right, Harriet, start a new life, forget about the past, get a job, start a family, do all the things. She's like, how can I? How can I sit here in this prosperity and this freedom when I know I have brothers and sisters back there who are still in the bonds of slavery? And she went back and she got the keys of her freedom and she unlocked the doors and the cells of many other men and women after her. She received her heavenly assignment. Lazy Christians, stop at the washing stop even at the obedience and when it comes to accepting their assignment from God, they consider it an inconvenience and it shouldn't be that way. I have a pet peeve in the, in the northern parts of uh, San Diego. There is a, a dilemma and there are a lot of women who get saved and who, who are obedient to God to cut things out but they will not integrate themselves into church families. They have little house Bible studies and they collect people just like them and they drink cups of coffee and they prophesy over each other, but they will never do anything to contribute to the betterment of society. So on the outside, they may have been primped and primed and looking all prim and proper and, and svelte, but, but on the inside, in their spirit, they're big, jab-of-the-heart Christians. <laughs> I'm full of the word of God. I know everything I should do when God set me free, but I'm too fat and lazy to do anything about it. I just wanna sit in my mansion and look at my diamonds and prophesy over the same seven women every week. Stop it! That's selfish Christianity. You were created to be a river, not a swamp. Why does your life stink? Because there isn't an outflow. There's gotta be an outflow. There's gotta be an outflow. Freely you have received. Now freely give, freely give. What has God done in your life? The sum total of the ministries at Awaken Church are done by people who have accepted their assignment. Awaken recovery was started and continues to be run by former addicts who have been set free by the power of God. They received their assignment. Don't be selfish. The Bible says this. I love this in Galatians chapter 5, verse 13. It says, For you were called to be free, brothers and sisters. Only don't use your freedom as an opportunity to serve yourself, but to serve one another through love. Every single person sitting here, you're gonna go through the same cycle that Gideon went through, the washing, the cutting, but then receiving those papers from God. What has He called you to do? It's not enough that I turn up to heaven and say, oh God, you set me free, thank you. I no longer am crippled or bound to fear or intimidation or a lie about myself, thank you. He is gonna want a return on that investment. He's gonna say, Leanne, I set you free. Now now show me what you did with your freedom. Did you bury that one talent and now you're presenting it to me all dirty and not reproduced? No. I'm gonna say to him, Lord, You set me free. You freed me from the bonds of those wicked things, bowing my knee to idols. Look what I have done with what you put in my hands. I have reproduced and multiplied what you invested in me. Here are men and women behind me who are also in bondage that are now free because I multiplied what you put on my life. I wasn't selfish with the call. I accepted your assignment. Every single one of us has an assignment from God, whether or not you have pastor in front of your name or you don't. God has put a mission and a mandate on your life to be a freedom fighter. Not just experiencing freedom for yourself, but freely you have received, now freely give. All right, stand to your feet. That's enough for you to chew on right now, I go. Yeah. It's the circle of life. So many of the old ways And the broken thinking and the just fruitless works that the church and Christians have engaged in for for too long are being dismantled. And the purity of the Gospel is coming back to the forefront again. Praise God, because there is a world out there that doesn't need selfish, me-centered Christianity, but someone who comes to the Lord, has an encounter with God, allows himself to be washed so they think and see rightly. And then obedience, so they have a testimony. I have a testimony, I was where you were. And now I'm gonna help you unravel yourself out of the messiness of the world. Lift your hands to the Lord. Father, I thank you for this church. I thank you for the call and the assignment on each and every single person's life. Father, wherever they may be in the journey, Father, wash those who need to be washed. Father, stand with those who need to take a step of obedience. And Father, put a fire in the belly of those who need to accept their assignment today. I declare Jesus is building His church and the gates of hell will not prevail against us. Father, ready your church as we go through the refiner's fire. Father, strip away everything that is not pure that is not virtuous, that is not true, that is false, that is fraudulent. And Father, let us stand ready and able to receive the harvest of mankind that You are sending into the church. In Jesus' name, Amen.
0: Wow, what an amazing word. I hope you enjoyed that as much as I did. Hey, listen, for more information about our church, go to www.awakenchurch.com